Welcome to Two Rivers Leadership Podcast, a conversation about leading as a team because a great team is always better than great talent. Hey everybody, welcome to the Two Rivers Leadership Podcast. My name is Will Hampton. I am the lead pastor here at Two Rivers Church. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. The goal of these podcasts is to help you understand how to lead together as a team. So what we're going to do today is just a little bit different. We have been doing our leadership, culture, traits, and we're going to kind of pause for a second on that. We're going to go in our next podcast into our kingdom culture traits. What I want to do this session is I want to do a question and answer time. I have Bogdan with me. He is our production director here at Two Rivers Church, and he's been talking to some people and they're sending in some questions and, and kind of dialoguing with him. And some of the things that I've been talking about uh, are raising some thoughts and some ideas that, that need to be addressed. So, Bogdan, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, and a little bit about how this came about. So I, uh, I help out production here at Two Rivers, and just one of my friends is more from like a church culture. He has a background from churches, and um, a lot of people who transition from that culture to a culture like at Two Rivers where we're really high-paced, we're really reaching the world, we're trying to um, reach the unchurched with the environment that we create. Uh, a lot of questions come up with these kind of people. Yeah, so our methodology is so- somewhat, I think probably some of the questions that we're going to talk through are is this idea of m- methodology and message and how do we distinguish between the two And sometimes the message, when I say methodology and message, what I mean is that at Two Rivers Church, the methodology will always be able to change, but the message never will. That the gospel and the word of God, we believe that the word of God is the word of God. So so this gets a little bit messy when, when we start looking at the word of God and we start saying, well, this is the message. How does that inform your method. So we're going to talk a little bit more today probably about uh, how the message or the me- like what the Word of God says influences our methodology. And there's a lot of debate in this area for how these things play out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember coming to Two Rivers, you know, at first coming from a church culture into a culture that's just geared towards the unchurched. It's a little disorienting, like your head spins a little. But um, I think it's it, this is definitely something that will help people get their heads wrapped around um, coming from that type of culture and really just getting right on board and jumping right into the stream of things. All right, so so what what's this guy? Can you? Uh, he sent a letter to you with, with kind of a whole detailed list of, of things, so why don't you uh, go ahead and jump right in? So when the unchurched people start coming to Christ, many conservative Christians look at them and judge whether or not they are real Christians or if they've really repented. Most of the time it's based on outer appearance, behavior, and habits. At the same time, however, the conservative Christians might ignore and not address their wrong hidden appearance, behaviors, and habits. For example, the new unchurched Christians might be smoking, drinking, cursing, maybe like dressing in a way that's provocative, and they are judged by the people that consider themselves mature Christians often, who themselves don't even see issues in their life like gossip, anger, Dishonesty, pride, etc. So, would you say that both of these groups are on the same maturity level as Christians? Uh, so, the that's a really interesting question because to, the the way that we would think about maturity, 
uh, really has to be defined. So, so if we were going to talk about maturity, uh, we have to define what a mature believer looks like. And, and I, I define that like this. A mature believer is someone who is consistently humbled at the foot of the cross and is actively engaged in becoming more like Jesus. So the answer to that question is that uh, the two groups would, one, it would be unfair to kind of lump everybody into a particular position along those lines. So, so, so let's speak broadly, though, about those groups. If we have a young Christian who is uh, just coming into a relationship with Jesus and they have some really obvious external sins, uh, I would definitely say, yeah, they're not as mature as someone who has already kind of nailed down some of those external sins. Yet, the person who is what we what we would oftentimes in the church world say, that's, that person is a mature believer, but they have a lot of those secret kind of sins that aren't as easy to see, like envy, pride, jealousy, discord, factions, lust. All those things kind of tend to hide in a, in a believer's heart, and, and it's not as obvious to see those things. Um, I, I would say that once a believer reaches that point where it's hard to see those sins, our church world doesn't do a good job of helping to surface those. We have to go into some deeper relationships. We have to have some accountability on some on deeper levels. And then we have to be, as church leaders, very uh, direct in our preaching to be able to talk about, hey, every one of us needs to be humbled at the foot of the cross. Jesus is very clear that the Pharisees were, because they professed to see, blind guides. And, and that should be very sobering because most people, when we read the Bible, we don't read the Bible and say, hey, uh, I'm a Pharisee. And that's probably where what most, if we were going to broadly characterize mature believers, this does not, everybody doesn't fit into this category, but if we were going to broadly characterize a mature believer, that's probably the sin that Jesus is addressing to most mature, what we would quote, unquote, air quotes, can't see me, but I'm air quoting the word mature because an actually mature believer is the one who is really humbled and doesn't say, look, I'm better than that person. Like it's really, it's almost weird because a a mature believer would would never say, look, I'm better than that person. Because the actual maturity would say, my goodness, I've been saved by grace. It is the gift of God in my life. I don't deserve anything that Jesus has given me. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize my sinfulness. And that's that's really what should be happening all across the board. And, and this idea of maturity almost implies that they've arrived. Like a, a person who says, I'm a mature believer, really is immediately susceptible to the sin of pride. And in this sense that, well, I've arrived... And what I think is a mature believer is someone who becomes a lifelong disciple. I've not arrived until I make it to heaven. The moment I kind of take my foot off the gas, the moment I take my foot off my need to be 
receiving the grace of God in my life, there's probably something wrong with my relationship with God. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I have another one. So when we work with unchurched people um, at Two Rivers, I believe that we're really good at meeting people where they're at. So what does that mean? Like, is there a line that we sort of draw in the sand and we're like, all right, well, this is like where we're going to stop on meeting that person. So sort of the the question is, like, how low do you go? Uh, you can go lower. Uh, just the, uh, you can go lower. And what I mean by that is that Jesus, uh, <clears throat> Jesus was in the world, but he was not of the world. Jesus found himself in the lowliest of places. I find one of the easy sins for believers is this cultural sensibility or social, like I'm socially acceptable because I have my my nice middle-class clothing and I have nice middle-class values and a middle-class bank account. And all those poor people, look at them, they're so dumb. They're full of sin. They're full of whatever. And uh, I... I think that this has to do with racism. This has to do with the heart condition of a believer that says, I'm above you. And I see Jesus coming to a manger, coming into the lowliest of low low places. He didn't come into the palace. And then when you see Jesus, he's working with his hands. He's a carpenter. And then we see Jesus hanging out with prostitutes. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. In fact, if you read Luke chapter 15, the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, the first verse, what spurs the rest of the chapter and the three parables that come after is that Jesus is saying, he says, Luke says that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and eating with them, eating with the tax collectors and sinners was a sign of relationship. It was a sign of acceptance. And so oftentimes the church world today is really in conflict with that because we say, well, I can't be seen with them. I can't be. And it's more about my reputation than it is about the mission of Christ. I'm, I'm more worried about protecting how I look. I, I think, uh, some other Christian might criticize me because I was around the wrong people. And so, so we start to uh, create, well, you know, now if by low, what he means is uh, add sin into your life or participate in sinful things, that's a whole different story. Um, we don't have to, we don't become sinful in order to reach sinners. And, and I say sinners, I mean that broadly, like I'm a sinner, <laughs> right? Everybody, like when we say sinners, let's make sure we're lumped in that group, that I'm, I am a sinner. The moment I stop thinking that I am no longer saved by grace and there's, I'm somehow special, that other person over there doesn't have what I have, uh, man, again, sin of pride. We're, we're sitting right on, and, and immediately now we need the grace of God to be working in our life. Um, so another good thing that we can segue into right now is what do we mean when we talk about like worldliness? This is something for people either coming from the church culture 
or just coming right out of the world, you know, they're new believers. And, you know, that word gets thrown around a lot. So what do we mean when we talk about that? So this is an area that I have constantly have to do a lot of teaching in because the in the church world, if you're from a conservative church, you've probably heard this idea that uh, churches that are attractive or churches that are really trying to reach unchurched people, they're compromising using worldly methodologies. They're being worldly because they have lights in the church or they have drums or they have, you know, pick take your pick about what worldly could mean. And oftentimes, or let's say, for instance, uh, you're celebrating Easter. Now, Easter could be considered a, a pagan holiday by some perspectives, or it could be considered a Christian holiday by some perspectives. It just depends on how you want to line up behind that one. And what people will say is, well, that's worldly. That's a worldly thing they're doing. They're worldly to reach people. They're, I've heard this argument like this. In order to reach them, they have to become worldly. And if you win them with worldly things, then you've got worldly believers. Well, I believe that that's a very poor interpretation of worldly. Uh, you're never going to find that from the Bible. So let's define what worldly is according to the Bible. The Bible does not define things like I'm talking right now into a microphone. Is the microphone worldly? It's in the world. Um, and, and the way that we would describe that is that it is it has... Uh, mass and it has size, but it's in and of itself, it has no moral consequence. So, so the microphone itself could be used as a tool, either morally or immorally, based off of how you use it. So, who controls whether or not the microphone is a moral or immoral object? The person using it. So what, what, what happens is that when we are worldly, this isn't about the style of worship. This is not about the methodologies that the church uses in so much as what makes something worldly is that it's sinful in the heart. So a worldly thing is jealousy. A worldly thing is Lust, a worldly thing is envy, a worldly thing is orgies, a worldly thing is really well defined in the word. These things are all matters of the heart. Now, what's what we're not going to find in uh, some so so like in the Bible, we we see dancing, okay? So so David says, I will dance before the Lord with all of my might. Now uh, what happens, what I tend to find happening is, let's say somebody is dancing in the church. Well, and let's, <laughs> we're going to have to take a second to define what the church is, because I think this is also really a, a, an interesting question. We'll probably get to that here in a little bit. But if somebody's dancing, how do we know if that person is dancing lustfully or if they're dancing before the Lord? Well, it's really in their heart. That's in their heart, and and so what, uh, what what defines that isn't whether they're dancing or not. It's what's happening in their heart, because there's 
dancing in a, in a healthy way and then in an unhealthy way. So, so what we have to do is we really have to distinguish between and have to have a better understanding of worldliness as being something that I carry and into all of my interactions. Have I been crucified with Christ to follow Christ? And, and, and am I really careful to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's really good. Um, so when people come from a church culture into an environment like ours, how do you minister to the unchurched and the churched in one go? Can, can you even yeah, do that? So, like, is that something that's possible? <laughs> I try to. <laughs> um, the, the way that I think of it is this. Every time I put a message together, I, I sit and I, I really pray over how I'm going to present. And I think one of the rules of communication is you always have to know, be aware of who's in the room. So you have to know who it is that you're talking to in, in your room. And I, I am very aware that every Sunday we have a room full of people who do not know Jesus. And we have a room full of people who are kind of initial adopters of Christ. Maybe they're sticking their toe in, they're testing out. And then there's a whole bunch of people that uh, they have been followers of Jesus for quite a while. But it's my job as a pastor to really help everyone take one step closer to Christ. So one of the ways that I, I think about it is uh, I need to talk to different segments of the church uh, through the course of every message. So if you're aware of the segmentation in your church, then you can speak to different uh parts of the church because you and we do this pastors have to do this anyway uh what what i just think most pastors need to do is be aware of that there's people in the church that are unchurched like they don't know like it, we make this really easy mistake of talking about everyone knows the story of david when not everyone knows the story of david so when i when i talk about it one of the ways that i think about it is this i don't compromise anything but i try to explain everything um, the flip side of that is there are just some times that um, by talking to segmented audiences, you cannot get as much covered in the amount of time that you have available to you. So, so I have to be very careful when I'm writing a message. I've got like kind of this window of opportunity to fit my content into and I'm going to try to be as practical as possible with that content. Uh, so, so every pastor has to kind of decide what is the content that I'm bringing to the table today. Does this matter on Monday? And if it matters on Monday, it's not going to matter if you are a, a you're, you have never accepted Jesus or you've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years. It's going to hit you the same way. Because this is a practical thing. And I have found oftentimes when you're talking to somebody that's been a believer for 30 years, they have to actually be slapped a little bit harder than the unbeliever who's really aware of, man, i got to get my stuff together. Whereas the person who's been following Jesus for 30 years has, is really busy elbowing their neighbor. They're busy. Oh, you know who needs to hear this message? Yep. Someone yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, they're, they're so busy not hearing the word anymore they're hearing how the word is being given they got all these like you go to church and they're 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 not actually worshiping jesus there anymore they're just kind of judging 
how the service occurred. <laughs> you know, like, so, so there's a whole different, but so, so if we, if we keep it practical, then it, it hits across the board, but we also have to talk to each different segment of the audience and be aware of, Hey, there's teenagers in the room. There might be kids in the room. There's singles. Like this is some churches. They'll never talk to singles. They'll talk to all the marrieds, never talk to the singles. And if we, if we just kind of are aware of that, we got different segments in the room that are different from me, then, then we could talk to them and then bring, take the word, make sure that what the point is, is practical so they can live it out. And then the Holy Spirit will do the rest. That's really good. So this is going to be the last probably topic that we'll go over in this session. Um, because it talks about, in a previous podcast, we talked about sort of the three stages of a church. So there's sort of movement stage. There's the church stage, and then there's the museum or mausoleum, which is where, you know, you have tombs and that sort of thing. So the movement is like things are moving, new believers are coming, things are going off. Church is like you're starting to think more about sustaining programs, sustaining the building, sustaining what you have. And the museum mausoleum is already people are starting to either die out or or leave the church or, or go out. So really what the question is, is it possible go back is it possible to go back from church to movement or museum mausoleum to movement um is it worth it or is it better to go and start fresh well i i believe that any church can be revived um this is this is a matter of what i believe about what the bible says uh so i'm kind of one of these guys that that I don't believe in such a thing as a hopeless situation. Um, what I, I do think in that context is this. I love what Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle says. The, the phrase that's not allowed in our organization is, we have not led them to do X, Y, Z. So uh, ultimately, the leader of whatever organization, like so, so I, I talk about the three, the movement, the museum and then the mausoleum. If you have made it to that museum stage and you're sort of plateauing as a church, in fact, most churches about 15 years into their life cycle begin to plateau. And, and then there's things that need to happen to turn that church around. There's been a ton of studies that have been done about turnaround church. And we know that it can be done. We know that a church can turn around. And, and in fact, when you get to the mausoleum, there it's, it's like, oh, buddy, you got a lot of work to do to turn that thing around, but it can be done. I like to think of it this way. Somebody who is getting ready to get divorced, they've, they've been married, uh, both partners are cheating on each other, they're hating on each other. It just, it's a huge, ugly, nasty mess. What has to happen is... They have to sit down and they have to decide, do we want to be married? That's the ultimate question they have to ask. Do we want to be healthy and whole? And if the answer to that is yes, then the details of all of the other things can be overcome. Because here's what I believe, Bogdan. I believe that we serve a Savior who rose from the dead. If, if Jesus rose from the dead, everything is possible. I, this idea that 
if you were born with same-sex attraction, that you could not follow Jesus, like it's impossible for you to have a relationship with Jesus now, is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I believe in a Savior who is the God of transformation, who is the God who redeems hopeless causes, the God of those who are far from him. He could bring them in and give hope to any hopeless situation. And so I, I just, I, it would make it, I'm not saying there's not a lot of difficulty. There's not a lot of challenges. There's not a lot of work that has to be done. But if somebody is willing to say, look, I believe that God could transform any hopeless situation and I'm ready to walk through it and ready to go through the pain of transformation, I'm ready to go through the pain of change, then I believe God can redeem it. Yeah, I think that um, sort of the image of a husband and a wife coming back together is really good and what do you think if the, so if if it was just parties in the church coming together and saying do we want to reach people is that like a similar question yeah so so that's it, it really comes down to are you asking as a church are you fighting the right battle so so a lot of churches are fighting the wrong battles they are fighting a battle that was relevant 40 years ago they're doing ministry uh, that's 40, like the culture is not even like the culture is so far from there. Like we're, we're doing a series, getting ready to, to do a series in which we're going to do apologetics. So I need to preach about, is God real? I, like that's where culture's at is, is there a God, let alone does he have a son named Jesus Christ? We're, we're just starting with creator God. Yep. That There's a pre-existent, eternal, no one created God. God created everything. Let's start there, and then we can move to this other. Now that we know there's a God, does sin exist? <laughs> I can, have I offended God with my sin? And that's there's a whole different nature of of what we need to deal with in that. And I think that churches are fighting the wrong battles because they're talking about things that we've been in our own culture for so long and doing our own thing for so long. We have forgotten that there's a whole world out here that we're supposed to be reaching and we don't even speak their language. And so when somebody comes in from the outside in and we're so worried about like, is the color of the pew going to be purple or red? And somebody says, you can't have a drum set because drums are evil and they might create hip gyrations or some thing. If the person that comes from the outside is like, ah, this is not going to help me any. We're not, they're not asking the right questions, not dealing with the right things. And so, so all of that, that's really essential to the process. Are we asking the right questions? Yeah, that's really good. It reminds me of this pastor in California that I met. He said, in this church... We don't tell people what not to do. We tell them what to do. So, that's right. Yeah. So I think that's really, um, really good, especially at Two Rivers. So this was really awesome. This is a great session. We got a bunch more content um, coming up uh, on top of whatever we've been talking about. So it was great doing this podcast. So, Will, you want to take it out? Yeah, if you have any other questions or there's thoughts or ideas that you've been dealing with, or maybe I've actually had some other people kind of Facebook message me, and I'll try to address some of those similar types of thoughts and ideas. I think I kind of covered some of them in this session today. But again, you could just Facebook me, 
You can send an email. I would love to hear from you and be able to, to dialogue with you to clarify kind of how we function because the, these questions are what allow us to lead together as a team. God bless you. Hey, Sue, I'm so glad that you tuned in and listened to this podcast. If you have any questions or any comments, I would love to hear from you and get any feedback that you might have or, or uh, comments that you might add to this discussion. You could email pastor at tworiversassembly.com. That's T-W-O, riversassembly.com. And, and just share with me what your thoughts are. Maybe something that I talked about that you you might be confused by or something that you want some clarification or maybe you you want to challenge some of the ideas that we've presented and I'd love to be able to kind of sit down with you and talk through those things and and hear what this impact is making in your life. God bless you. Have a great week.